Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The bank holiday weekend is almost here, but before that, it's another edition of your favourite podcast, Insane in the Membrane. Insane in the Membrane. Hello, everyone. It's that time again, Insane in the Membrane, coming to you uh, via the internet. And, uh, and we're still on lockdown. We're still doing that. And rightly so, because uh, people are still ill. And we need to be locked away so we don't make other people ill. Uh, we're doing all right. We're, 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 uh, we're having haircuts because we are locked in with our comedian stroke barber, Mr. Paul Sweeney. He's doing a bang-up job of making us look uh, tidy. Wonderful, wonderful things going on. We're doing all right. You know, you've got your days where, you know, you're productive and you're having a good time. And then you've got your days where you just want to smash the flat up. So, um, you know, if you're feeling that way as well, it's natural to feel that way. You don't have to be learning how to speak another language or riding a unicycle. Sometimes you could just sit around eating what's it's in your pants. Or just keep them in the bag. Anyway, big shout out and thank you to everybody that got involved with the Heston Blumenthal uh, episode last week. Uh, we put it out there to people to get creative with some, with some of the things that we had online, and we and they did. It, it was a, it was a smash. Some wonderful things got put together. Uh, just like I say, a big thank you to Craig Hazel. Thank you, mate, for that one. Um, at and all that Yaz thank you Yaz for your for yours it's brilliant they've all been brilliant it was really good to see uh, at Pippi underscore Lay and a uh, big thank you to Jason T as well wonderful people doing wonderful things thank you for getting involved it was really good to see uh, and, and we're all fired up we're going to do it again so uh, watch this space so big shout out to all you guys and thank you to everybody for, for listening you're all wonderful my guest this week is Duncan Craig. Duncan Craig is the CEO of Survivors Manchester. Survivors Manchester is a is a foundation set up by Duncan, and it's uh, it's so people, uh, men and boys that have been the the victim of sexual assault or rape. Uh, it's a place where they can go and get help and advice, and and basically feel like they're not alone. It's a wonderful foundation. I haven't actually physically met Duncan, but we got talking uh, through Twitter. Uh, he just said that he'd, he'd been listening to the podcast and he, and he loved it. And then we got talking and I just thought he'd be a brilliant guest. So uh, without further ado, here's Duncan Craig. Duncan, thank you for coming on the show, mate. It's really nice to have you on. Uh, obvious question. Let's go for it. How are you doing in the lockdown? It's, it's interesting. Um, so pers- personally speaking, yeah, um, yeah I'm, I'm good. Uh, so I'm pretty much working from home. Uh, having moved the whole of the organisation online. Um, but I'm also working uh, still in our prison service, so I'm still seeing people face-to-face, uh, which comes with its own challenges. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it's good. It's a, it's a good mix. And then my husband works uh, frontline in the NHS, so 
we've kind of had to we've kind of had to come up with our own little ways of managing both of us coming in and out of the house. Oh, really? yeah, right, okay, yeah. I mean, that's yeah, yeah. That must be a worry for you that he's out, he's out, and he's out amongst it. You know, it, to be honest with you, um, there's 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 half of me that's worried. No, that's a that's bullshit. There's forty percent of me that's worried. I think there was ninety percent of me that was worried in the beginning, but yeah. there's about forty percent of me worried now. Um, more than anything, I'm just really proud. Yeah, like, really proud. Because like, I mean, even like fifteen minutes ago, I was like taking his scrubs out of the washing machine and hanging them off on the washing line, you know, doing my wifely duties. That's like it, yeah, you do, yeah, yeah. You know, one minute chief executive of an organisation, next minute taking washing out and hanging it on the line. That's it. Um, you, don't, you, you might have an OBE, but you've not forgotten what you, where your roots are, mate. <laughs> still working class, still working class. <laughs> working class, but now I've just got like a special medal on that. I just waltz around the house in. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, it is it's a real sense of pride, you know, and I, I, for both of us, I feel really, I feel really proud yeah. that we're playing our, our our little bit. And, you know, for, for Wes, you know, he's, so he's frontline in the NHS. He works within a big uh, cancer hospital. So, right. you know, part of his work is, um, used to be dealing with uh, people who, you know, are going through treatment for cancer, and right. then like a lot of his work now is around education. So you know that so their their team are having to do all sorts of stuff from, you know, organising transport for for patients right through to kind of making sure that, you know, staff are upskilled in the right way. And I kind of that just makes me really proud because you know I think what we can see on the teller, is you know the incredible work that the NHS is doing. But I think we're only we only see a bit of the NHS work. So we're seeing those amazing doctors and nurses and care workers, you know, that are full PPE'd up to the eyeballs, going into, you know, really difficult and and mm. and potentially dangerous um, environments. You know, COVID yeah. wards, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But there is a whole lot of other people as well. So A and E staff, um, you know, um, uh, children's ward staff, um, cancer hospitals. You know, people that are doing their day-to-day jobs as well mm. you know for me they're a little bit of the hidden heroes at the moment so yeah i'm really fucking proud of him yeah absolutely it's funny isn't it is that we've always known that the nhs are brilliant and people that that are that are part of it are excellent and it's only and it's only now that it's you know like boris being in hospital i think mm. he suddenly realized how important nurses are and it, well, I, I had a I had Matt Stellingworth on, yeah, uh, and his his missus is a is a nurse. I had no idea that they have to pay to train to be nurses, yes. but and they pay it's extortionate amounts of money. That yeah, that just blew my mind. Yeah, completely. And I think you know if there's one thing that's got to come out of this uh, pandemic, or at least our understanding of the response to the pandemic, is it's just how important the NHS is and we got to do everything to save it and it's not just uh, that's not just battling with um politicians and you know kind of you know going on marches and demonstrations it's not just about that it's also about our own responsibility what are we doing to the NHS you know why are Mm. we turning up to A&E to deal with something that you could just be dealt with at a pharmacy yeah you know if you can't get a doctor's appointment don't just fucking go down to A&E and waste A&E's time. 
mixed in with also recognising that actually people do need to go to A&E as well. And it's not always about um, uh, trying to deal with it yourself. Sometimes people need, you know, particularly around mental health, you know, I'm always encouraging people to kind of to go to A and E if they feel like they can't keep themselves safe. You know, don't just kind of suck it up and. Oh, you know, yes. But it's about how we manage it. So, I've for years I've I've um, uh, suffered with kind of like breathing through my nose. So okay. half of my nose, the septum is 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 bent for a whole right. host of naughty reasons and just, <laughs> just being a dickhead when i was younger just quite frankly living your life yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and uh <clears throat> you know i i've i've thought you know i could really do with straightening that out because in particularly in winter when i get cold and it's somewhere mm. i get hay fever I, I can only breathe out of one nostril now for me it's not life-threatening but yeah. i've had the opportunity to kind of go to the uh, to the doctors to kind of look at my feel and I just thought no actually I think that's something that I should actually contribute towards I should pay some money towards that because you, you know, feel it was about... because you did it yourself because partly because I did it myself yeah. but also because you know I can live with it it's yes. not gonna it's, it isn't gonna kill me but I would rather not take up resources yes yeah, you know, I know. I'd, I'd, rather, I'd rather find some balance somewhere where I can kind of get it, get it through good quality healthcare, but I actually make a contribution towards it as well. Yes, I know exactly. Yes, that and but that's the thing, isn't it? Most people don't think that way. They think, oh, oh, fuck it, it's free. I'll just go and get it done. Yeah, you know, and that yeah. So that goes back to what you were saying. We need to take some sort of responsibility ourselves. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Um, where did you meet your fella? Uh, I met him in bed. In bed. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> let me let me explain a little Straight bit more in. about that. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a uh, there's a club in Manchester uh, that was called Bed. Yes, and it was I it was based on uh, the supper club in Amsterdam. If anybody's uh, ever had the opportunity to go there, when okay. that was, I mean, that was wild place. Uh, yeah. If you ever were able to kind of get in there, and essentially, like at the, um, you you kind of go underneath uh, a bar, and all that there is is just beds, and these people just kind of drinking and sort oh, of yeah. lounging around, and uh, and I'd 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 had enough. I, you know, I'd had a long history of. Re- ridiculous failed relationships and all sorts of stuff and uh just was like that's it i'm not i'm not doing anything i'm not i'm not interested in partners i'm not interested in men anymore they can all fuck off yeah i I had this absolute shutdown of it and uh (laughs) and a friend of mine uh one night said uh you know he's fancy going to pictures and uh i'd been decorating all day in in the flat that i had and we went to the pictures i was still literally still in my painting gear and uh and they said let's let's go for a quick beer on the way home and uh so we did and found a little corner in bed and then next minute um we're talking and this this woman falls it's the most spectacular fall (laughs) i have ever seen like from the top of a massive flight of stairs to the bottom literally cartwheeled it oh. and then landed 
and hadn't dropped a like a, 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 a smidgen of a drink. What? And then there was this lad at the top of the stairs and he was laughing and they were mates and he comes down the stairs and that was my husband-to-be. Oh, wow. What a what an introduction. Completely. <laughs> and you hit it how, off straight away. How what a she way. didn't die is still beyond me. Wow. Just the power of booze, isn't it? And I think <laughs> yeah. it, it really does protect you sometimes. Like they say, you get your, you put your beer coat on when you're out. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. <laughs> the, like how flexible she was to just do that. And, and you know, it, like the next day, Oh. <laughs> bruised, bruised up to the eyeballs. <laughs> Felt seems, it then. <laughs> <laughs> there seems to be, and I, I'm not, I, I, having spent uh, a lot of time in Manchester and, and Newcastle and places like that, actually mm. in, in certain suburbs down here, it's uh, in, in the south. Some people just seem more, women seem really robust when it comes to the weather and going out <laughs> at yeah. weekends. You're like, how are you not feeling any of this? It's, it might be it might be showing my age now, where I'm walking around going, "Put a coat on, love." What the fuck? Yeah, just I don't know. I, Particularly I think... Newcastle. I mean, I know it's stereotyping. Yeah, you know, yeah, but yeah. The, the, you know, the, the reason that stereotype is stereotype is because it began with a little bit of truth in it. When I, you know, my previous career, when I worked in in the theatre, um, I used to tour different shows and comedians and musicians and stuff oh, around right. the country. And uh, whenever we went to the Theatre Royal Newcastle, and if I had a press night, I'd have to go and, you know, make sure that all the press were getting the right tickets and all of the actors were fine and stuff. And at the end of the night, on the way back to the hotel, I always used to look at predominantly the women and think, Jesus Christ, why are you not absolutely, <laughs> like, fall into bits with, like, frostbite? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You kind of go, you're blue. You're actually blue now. <laughs> yeah. Come yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's yeah I, I, I take my hat off to these to these people. God, God bless them. Good uh, northern yeah. women. <laughs> I, are you from Manchester? I, I love Manchester. It's I've, Every time I go there, I just feel so at home. I've loved, yeah. I always love it. Are you from uh, there? I am, yeah, originally. I'm from, I'm from uh, East Manchester. So... Um, I suppose, like thinking about it, when I, I mean, I, I was, I was born in the mid seventies. It was, I suppose, it's considered a bit more of the rough end of of Manchester. Um, it, it, you know, it was, it was a proper, you know, old fashioned Coronation Street um, type of place where I grew up. You know, uh, terraced oh, yeah. houses, yeah, yeah, cobbles yeah. on the street. I mean, I, I, you know, I literally remember when, um, uh, when the street was tarmacked. And we were wow. you know, as kids. We were kind of like digging a tarmac off for cobbles, and you know, I mean, kids don't play in gutters anymore. But we, you know, we used to like get sticks off the tree, and <laughs> you know, from the park, and just like dig in the gutter and stuff. Um, you know, everybody was your auntie or your uncle. You know, right, genuinely, yeah, yeah, yeah. people went in and out of of everybody's houses, and you know, there was that that real northern Coronation Street type of, yeah. of feel to it all. And and every time I've been away, um, I end up in Birmingham for a while uh, when I was in the theatre and, you know, various different places I've taught, I've always ended up coming back to Manchester. 
Yeah, it's such a. I'd love it. We used to. I remember in the late eighties, we used to make plans that we were going to go to the hacienda because we'd heard oh, about yeah. this magical place, yeah. and we never, we never went. It's probably for the best that we didn't go. But looking back on it, but it, we were like, oh, well, be, well, it, we used to talk about it while we were sat around drinking beer in the park. Do you know what, Rich? Is still a magic about it because, like, it's it's a uh, it's you know it's flats now. That's right. Uh, yeah, know, the, the yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. Gentrification of, of you know of many different cities. But even still, like, so if in the morning, if I, if I'm coming into, into, into the city, and sometimes I might just get off the, the, the tram and kind of walk through and, you know, come walk past the hacienda and yeah. I still get butterflies, still to this day <laughs> get butterflies. <laughs> and for me, the hacienda was, was like the first major club that I ever went to where really? I could express who I was, um, even when I didn't necessarily have a full understanding of it. But yeah, actually right. what okay. I saw was I just saw people of all, genuinely all shapes and sizes and ethnicities and ages and, you know, just this oh, wow. spectrum of creativity. Because yeah. flesh, you know, flesh was, was one of my uh, first ever you know, official gay clubs that I'd ever been into. Oh, I had no idea. Because you only hear about, you hear about later on when it was, you know, people, when it got a bit rough towards the end. You don't yeah. hear about all that wonderfulness. That's that, that's that's the first time I've heard about that. So I mean, cool. flesh, flesh was like, you know, flesh was 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 the kind of the epicenter of 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 dance music at one point. You know, right. uh, Paul Cons and uh, the Divine David, and you know, all of these like incredible creatures. I, I I mean, I first ever heard about flesh sat at home in my bedroom watching Channel 4's The Word and seeing these like these absolutely incredible creatures on the yeah. telly and they were talking about this nightclub called the hacienda and once a month there's a there's a gay night and there was just this mix of people i just i can literally remember thinking i need to go there i need to find yeah. out who those people are i bet you, you just felt all that all that weight on you that like you say you didn't really know who you were but you felt different maybe yeah and, and then you suddenly you find your people and it must have felt that's you know, that's it, it. yeah that must have that's been incredible it. I mean, it, yeah i mean you know like man's search for meaning along with you know um, um human beings have this this innate desire to kind of connect i don't care who you are you know yeah. i don't care what people say you know as, as I, I deal with this as a psychotherapist all the time right you know what's what's really important is a recognition that human beings are social creatures yes and we have to connect and if we don't then we you know we don't end up in good places so for me being growing up being this i mean i'm like i'm mid-40s now but growing up and be and 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 knowing difference so you know so many times you know people have said you know you know when did you first know you were gay mm. and, and and truthfully i've got no idea what I do know is when I was a kid, I knew that I felt different. Mm, yeah. In that real binary way, I knew that I like this, but I didn't like that. I like hanging around with those people, but I didn't like hanging around with those people. It was that binary. And I would argue that that most children kind of understand difference. I'm not saying that most children uh, will feel different in the way I felt different, but... 
you know, I, I really struggle with that idea that, oh, you know, oh, yeah, I knew I was gay when I was five. Just think, no, you fucking didn't at all. <laughs> yeah. What you knew is you knew difference and you understood yeah. something about not fitting in. So finding a space in, you know, and like I say, you couldn't be, couldn't necessarily show my difference when I was, when I was at home, when I was living in, you know, the mean streets of Gorton and, you know, Gorton back, backs on with Ardwick mm. and Moss Side and, you know, all of those kind of areas. So being different was, you know, it was, it was dangerous. Yeah, so walking into this building, which everybody talks about and suddenly seeing the, the, the biggest array of difference ever Brilliant. was like li- even now like literally I just I like my heart just skipped to be <laughs> it, it, what an know, amazing it's, thing it's like utopia yes it's funny isn't it like you I've, I was talking about this the other day to somebody and I, it, society tells us we should this is the way we this, this is a there's like a map there's a, there's a framework that we should all try and fit into yeah. and a lot of these problems come from the fact that none of us fit into that really yeah. you know what i mean because we're we're all individual we're all and that's where that's how we start feeling we feel like we're in the wrong i don't know that's how i felt growing up i was like well i don't really fit into that framework so i must be wrong and i must be bad because i don't feel like i fit into how society tells me i should be yeah you know? and, and, and and i think yeah. you know as you know you know i i you know I, I love the podcast that you do and you know i've, Thank and you. I've been I've been listening since since day one, and I just think the conversations that you're having with you know various different people have, are just are really important because they're you know they're adding into a conversation. You know, there's been a couple of times though when I've been walking down the street, you know, listening to to the podcast and kind of wanting to just start shouting back, going no, 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 and it's when people start <laughs> talking about toxic masculinity. Right, it's the wrong conversation. Okay. So I have this absolute belief uh, and I get, you know, I get trolled for this. I get kind of criticised for this all the time. But I absolutely believe that we're talking about the wrong thing because when we talk about toxic masculinity, we begin Mm. to start having a conversation that essentially says all masculinity is toxic and that's not right. And in fact, if if we took a step out of it for a second you would find as much toxic femininity as you would masculinity. Oh, absolutely. So, Jade and I have that We have that conversation all the time. Yeah, 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 absolutely. You're right. Yeah, yeah. What we should be talking, I think what we should be talking about is gender norms. Right. There and how toxic gender norms are. So it's about kind of taking it to, I think, another level of, of conversation so taking mm. it away from masculinity and talking about gender norms and how restrictive they are, that if yes. you don't look like this, if you don't sound like this, if you don't act like this, it's not necessarily about masculinity or femininity. It's about those gender norms. Mm. And, th- and they can be really toxic and they hurt men and women, boys and girls equally. Yeah, absolutely. All right, this is a, and this is, this is why I have I have these conversations uh, because I'm learning. I'm I you know this is a whole new world to me. The, mm. You know because you know I was brought up a certain way. I was told that's a man, that's a woman, and then anything else is kind of like 
miscellaneous. They didn't really discuss it. They were kind of like, no, that's over there. Uh, yeah. you, just, you just worry about this bit because this is this is normal. This is a man. This is a woman. And that's that. And so, yeah. and that's how you brought up. And now we're getting to this new world. You go, no, there's so much more to this. And I yeah. don't know. I don't know enough. And that's why I have these conversations. So you're absolutely right. It, just so that we, so that people like me understand these, this, this, this thing. I, I don't understand it. You know, it's, I get it and I'm not, uh, this sounds terrible. It's not, not I, I, I respect it. And I'm like, I just want to, I don't want to offend anyone. So I want to know how, I want to know how to have these conversations. How do we talk about this? That's what I'm trying to get to. How does someone like me have these, to have these conversations? By, by, by putting your foot in it. That's how we do yes. it. I honestly believe this. Like we've we've got to be offended, and we've yes. we've also we've also got to be allowed to offend because that's where we learn from. We learn from places of uncomfortableness. We yes. don't learn from places of comfortable because when we're comfortable, we're like a pig in shit. We just sit there. Yeah. When we're uncomfortable, we want to get out of it. We want to get out of it as kind of as quickly as possible. Now, if we all sign up to to sitting in uncomfortable a little bit longer mm. and kind of getting out of it a bit slower, we're going to learn shit loads. Yeah, you're you right. Know, it's that it's that understanding on both sides, isn't it? You're me, Absolutely. me not understanding it doesn't mean I don't I I, I don't respect it. It's just I don't. This isn't like I say. It's new to me, so. Absolutely. So you tell why don't yeah tell me and then understand because that seems especially with someone like Twitter where you might say the wrong thing but accidentally you know you kind of get yeah. it you get it you get it wrong a bit get the pronoun yeah. wrong and then everyone just launches on you instead of going whoa 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 hang on a minute like I've just said this is new I, I don't understand explain to me so like you yeah. say yes it's that a bit offending but being allowed to offend as well and yeah it, everyone's too quick to cancel everybody aren't they oh far too quick far too quick and you know and and often the people that are cancelling as often the people that are kind of also fighting for freedom of speech. And I just think, hold, hold on a minute, that that's just <laughs> compute in my head. Like yeah. you either are fighting for it or you're not. Now, I'm certainly not saying that people should just be given platforms to, you know, incite hatred and no. um, and kind of like violence. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying, though, is it's all right to be offended and it's okay if you offend somebody, providing that you're open to understanding why it's offensive. Yes. So I, I was at a conference not so long ago and I was doing a, I was doing a workshop and I was trying to explain something. And I use this example all of the time. I was trying to explain something. And what I was trying to explain is the first person says something. The, the first person says something to the second person. The second person hears it says it to the third person and so on and so on and so on and so on and so on. So you get to the end person who then says blah, blah, blah. And the first person goes, that's not what I said. Now, yes. what we have traditionally called that is Chinese whispers. Mm -hmm. So I say this and one person in the audience comes up to me afterwards and says, you can't say that because that's racist. And I go, is it? Oh my God. Like, I'm, I'm really sorry about that. Why? And yeah. they go, it just is. Right, yeah. And I'm a bit like, I'm, I'm, I'm not necessarily prepared to just take that on board blindly. Yeah. Now, absolutely, someone said that, so I'm going to take 
I'm going to take it on board in some way, shape or form. But actually what I now want to do is I now want to go and find out exactly why. Yes. So I do a bit of research, can't find anything. I can find things that people saying it's racist, but I don't understand why it is. And whilst I'm prepared to accept in some way, shape or form, it may be, I still desperately want to know. And mm. I have contacted various different people, including... I had a conversation with the local um, health and well-being centre for, uh, for for the Chinese community. And oh, they right. were kind of like, some people were saying, yeah, it's because of the way that um, uh, the, the, the quietness, apparently, of a stereotype. Or, mm. uh, so it's stere- a sort of a stereotype of a Chinese person and how quiet they speak. And it's about, in a way, kind of like taking the piss out of that. And I'm like, oh, right, okay, yeah, yeah, I can sort of understand that. I mean, what I'm trying to do now is trying to not use that phrase and trying to think about, you know, what what is a better phrase to use that yeah. still has an under, a, a kind of a, a, a wider understanding. But But even within some of the Chinese communities that I've spoken to, people have said, yeah, yeah, you know, some people have said that, but we don't fully understand it. You know, and that's okay. I just want to always be open to the learning and I'm happy yes. to be challenged. But what I'm not happy to do is someone just to tell me something as a fact, but not give me the kind of the pregnancy of it too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just to shut you down. And, and then, yeah. And then they feel they've won some kind of weird. Exactly. They've, they've some achieved weird something over you. Yeah. And that, that doesn't help anybody. And that's why we have to keep having these conversations because of that, that, that automatic need to shut someone down, be back, like be, I won that. I'm better than them. And, yeah. and then just wander off. And it's, yeah, yeah I, it, you're right. But these sayings and things that you don't realize how ingrained in our, in our society they are. You just, mm. cause you've always heard them, you know, they're just that. Mm. Yeah. And it's not until you really said like, I, like someone said the word, and I'm sorry to anyone listening. That gets, I, I'm not saying this. I'm just using an example. Someone said Japsai a little while ago, and you're sure. like, "Dude, you can't be saying that." And you go, yeah. well, "Why?" And then you, and then that is one that you do understand, and you go, "Listen, this is why." And they're like, "Oh shit, yeah, of course, I didn't even know that's what it was." You Absolutely, go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, but again, it's a similar example to yours. Like you say, instead of just shutting everyone down, and go, "Ah, oh, mate, you're disgusting. You're a racist. You're this." You go, "Dude, not that." And this is why. Oh shit, yeah. And I'd appreciate that. I appreciate when people do it to me if I say something. You know, and it's yeah. You're 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 right. Exactly what you said is is yes. You know, as, as a yeah. as a you know a, a, a mid forties um, you know working class northern gay man, the one of the things I've really just recently had to like properly look at is my kind of generation, my community's misogyny. Yeah, right. Because okay. it's it's there. You know, when we really got to deal with it and some of the way that we've been dealing with trans people, mm. you know, so so my type, you know, and, you know, stereotyping here, but for, you know, my generation, my age, um, um, particular kind of grown up around the scene, you know, there was always, always comments around, you know, gay women and lesbians and um trans people in a really kind of derogatory way and it was only because i was with you know a couple of my mates and a couple of of of, uh, gay women and we were having a bit of a laugh and that and someone said something made a joke and i was a bit like i don't i don't know if i feel comfortable laughing Mm. at this anymore because i feel like 
my eyes have been opened yeah. to how that lands. And actually, whilst I'm absolutely, you know, even though this gets me into trouble, I'm absolutely not for editing people. Mm. I'm just not, I'm not comfortable with being part of the landing or firing the missile in the first place. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's like, yeah, you like you say, anything that it, that does offend anybody, like, 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 you know, yeah, making jokes at someone else's expense. It's just, mm. it's just not cool. It's just bullying, isn't it? And that's, you know, I know I, I grew up being bullied. Uh, I bullied other people. I've said that before, mm. and 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 that's so. And so, and that's just an extension of that, isn't it? That um, I go back to what you said about misogyny as well in the gay community. Mm. I was having this conversation a little while ago about misogyny in the drag world. Sure, uh, sure. Yeah, and that, and that blew my mind. It didn't even occur to me. I can't. Yeah, someone else that we 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 know people in the drag world now, and or Jade, or Jade's been friends with them for years and years and years, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that, and I, I, it didn't even occur to me that that's what was going on. So, so something as simple like, so you know, I mean, I mean, most gay men won't necessarily, again, my generation, mid forties, won't necessarily mm. admit this, but the way that we would make jokes about um, lesbians and DIY, yes. again, gender stereotypes, and yeah. many of my counterpart females many of my uh, uh, gay women female friends of my generation would talk yeah. about you know gay men and dresses and there's always this kind of like well you just want to be a man no no well you just want to be a woman and if you like really get into that there's some very uncomfortable pointers towards you know like how we view women and and that yeah. kind of like are we better than women yeah. And it's just, it's not, I'm not comfortable with it in the slightest. You know, and it no, makes me want to check myself. And, you know, one of the things that um, uh, I, I was really kind of blown away by was, um, I, I can't even remember who it was actually, but I saw somebody, I saw a, a comedian talking about um, the book, Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Racism. All right, and I was yeah. like, that, that's, that sounds like a, an interesting book so i kind of get on it read it and it just blew my mind because what what i felt able to do was check my own racism then check my i know mm. people talk about white privilege you know yes of course i was kind of checking that but i was also able to say do you know what i think that i think that there is something inherent about the way i associate certain ethnicities that I am absolutely not comfortable with. And it makes me, it has a real impact, a detrimental impact on my health and well-being because I yeah. feel really shameful about that. And I need to kind of, I need to address that. And then from that, uh, you know, just kind of like waxing lyrical so often about that book, somebody then put me onto this uh, How to Argue with a Racist, the Adam Rutherford book. And it's oh, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. again, you know, if I'm checking that, I've also got to check my own misogyny. I've got to check my kind of um, uh, internalised homophobia. I've got to check all of those things. It's hard. It's it exhausting. Hard, yeah. It's fucking <laughs> exhausting. You know, well, you and I don't kinda, mean yeah. being part of the PC brigade and all that kind of bullshit. I don't mean that. I just mean about being a decent, respectful human being. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's funny, isn't it? Like you don't even realise how subtle those those differences are. Like you're when you're because exactly. you just again you've been brought up a certain way. You think you're yeah. doing the right thing, and then yeah. you know, and and society when we were because I'm I'm a, only a little bit older than you, so we 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 grew up in a similar sort of environment where it like you know you had you had there was blatant racism on the television. Yeah, just that, just how it was, like Rising Damp yeah. and, and all and all the all the all the sitcoms and and you kind of black and white minstrel show was prime time telly yeah. when we were kids and and you kind yeah. of you just went well that's what society is telling me is right so I don't yeah okay you didn't you didn't you didn't you didn't take any notice you just went yeah okay you know it wasn't until later on you look back you go fucking hell absolutely you know? but when yeah. I when I was working in the theatre you know the the amount of 1970s, 1980s, um, variety acts and comedians that we'd have on in the theatre, you know, that literally to, to today, I think I really hope that audiences aren't paying to oh, see God. those particular types of people anymore. <laughs> Knowing damn well, that they, of course they are. Of course they are. But I don't want to be part of that. No, exactly. There's a, there's a whole, someone was telling me before all this went down, you know, there's a whole, there is a circuit. There is a, there is a, there is an audience for that sort of thing in certain clubs. It's not as prevalent mm. as it used to be, mm. but, and it's a shame that it exists. You can't go, well, I, I, that's nothing to, I don't want any part of that. And so you sort of step away from it. Um, and it, but it's, it's still there. Yeah. Yeah. I you know, I remember, you know, he's always an easy target to pick on, but I remember having an interaction with Bernard Manning once. Oh, really? And just, you know, yeah. Uh, and weirdly enough, not, not, he wasn't there. Um, he wasn't there as a comedian. He was there as, as a, as a singer with a, with a big band. Cause oh, right. you know, not a lot of people know this, but he was, um, he was quite big around the kind of the, the Glenn Miller type of big band. Was he? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I had massive. no idea. Yeah, yeah, massive. Uh... And, uh, you know, I remember having a little bit of a, um, because of my job, I remember having a bit of an altercation with him and walking away thinking, you know, you, it's just, it's just ugly. Everything yeah. you're saying is just ugly. And I, and I don't want to be near that ugliness. No, it's a, it's, yeah, anyone, it's like I was in, I was in Middlesbrough. And we were, we were sat in a hotel, and we were just sat. We'd been we'd been in the in the gym, and there was a sauna and all that. We we're all sat around, and there was these guys, uh, and they were these um, they were Asian guys, and they were just sat around, and they started telling me how big they were, massive fans of Chubby Brown. And I and I sat there, and this is like going back to what you were saying, sort of checking yourself. And yeah. I'm just sat there going, how how are, how are you guys fans of Chubby Brown? What is it? Yeah. And I just said, I'm like, fucking hell. And they would say, oh, he's amazing. He's got this joke. I'm like, what? Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. It blew my mind. I didn't know what to say. I was genuinely like, uh, listen, I've got to go, but I'll catch up with you <laughs> later. <laughs> I just went out. And yeah. I've just had the weirdest conversation. So yeah. I, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. 
no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Made by darkhorsedigital.co.uk. Shooting, live streaming and podcast production. Where did you get involved with um, Survivors Manchester? Is that did you set that up or? Yeah. So um, yeah. So uh, um, 2009, we we originally opened the doors. So we've um, we're, we're 11 years old now. Um, but it it, it kind of goes back a little bit before then um, to 2005, 2006. So so I when I left school went and decided to uh gonna be an artist so i'll go to art college uh always kind of you know into sort of that the whole performance thing but also visual arts and and then uh whilst i was at college i got a job at granada television so granada television used to run um um like a a, it was called granada studios tour it's like a theme park Right. Uh, and essentially, people just wanted to go and have a look around Coronation Street and, uh-huh. and the old Sherlock Holmes set and that kind of stuff. And uh, I then, you know, worked there for a good number of years and, and then, you know, walked up the road and was at the Opera House and the Palace Theatre for, for quite a number of years. And all the way through um, all of those years, you know, I was carrying many big secrets but you know one of the biggest secrets was that i was a child abuse survivor so between about 11 and about 17 i was sexually abused and it's mm-hmm. a secret that i'd kind of carried and it had become part of um a, a misinterpreted narrative within me so i you know i completely changed the narrative mm-hmm. and uh you know began to sort of think about things in a different way so you know, I'd, you know, I can even remember talking to my original therapist and sort of talking about, uh, I had, you know, I had a boyfriend when I was younger and then, you know, in, in, in therapy sort of unpicked it all and was like, hold on a minute. This, this wasn't a boyfriend. I was no. 12 and he was like in his fifties. Yeah. That's clearly a paedophile, you know, that's not a, yeah, a boyfriend. Yeah. Um, so, so all through that, you know, I was carrying all of these secrets and, and, Ended up in therapy quite a few times, and mm. uh, it was it was in therapy that I decided that I wanted to kind of leave it all behind and help people. And long story short, I ended up training to be a therapist, and you it was are. then that Survivors Manchester's the idea for it 
really first started. So back in, like I say, two, two, 2004, 2005, 2006, when I had what in retrospect I now recognise as a breakdown. So mm-hmm. I was working with clients and uh, there was this one kid uh, and he was he was talking about being sexually abused and it literally like I what I now see is it I see now as vicarious trauma. So I've been traumatized by his trauma about my own trauma. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. This kind of unresolved stuff that I'd never kind of really dealt with. And you know, being in therapy as part of the, the course, I uh I started recognize that I had to kind of deal with stuff. So took myself off to uh, try and find the right type of support and realise that there was none. Uh, so if I lived in London at that time, I could have gone to uh, an organisation in London and got a little bit of help from them. Apart from that, that was really about it. Really? Now, I could wow. I could ring up the rape crisis um, uh, helpline, but they were primarily for women. Uh, mm. And, you know, on, on a few occasions... Um, I was, you know, I rang up various different helplines and I was accused of being a sex offender. I was accused of uh, of lying and all I Fuck. needed was someone to just go, yeah, 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 it does happen to, to boys and men too. Sure. And I uh, found a place in, in uh, Wiltshire and travelled, you know, 200 and whatever miles it was from Manchester to Wiltshire and just thought, nah, fuck this, this, this can't continue. I can't no. keep doing this. And you know, luckily at the time, I had the the cash to do that. But yeah, yeah. you know, I was working in. I'd left all the theatre and TV behind, and I was working in drug and alcohol services, and recognising just how many clients in in drug and alcohol services were dealing with abuse issues and the kind of the you know the real detrimental mental health impact um, to to. Uh, survivorship so to speak uh and and then just thought i've got to do something i have got to do something there was something about you know pandora's box was open then and uh yeah and i decided to kind of get a few people together and said you know literally had a couple of ideas knocked on a few doors said uh you know got an idea i think we're gonna start a like a rape crisis center for men um joe elmer and a few people went yeah okay and and that's where we started, and literally, yeah. you know, I say this like it's, you know, like it like it's a joke, but there's no joke to it. I started with a, a laptop that I'd acquired, uh, a pay-as-you-go mobile phone that huh. had twenty-five quid credit on it, oh, wow. and an eighty pence uh, website for dummies book that I got from uh, Oxfam Bookshop near the university. <laughs> And and in the back bedroom, started an organisation, and that's how it ran for the first couple of years uh, really? to today. Where you know we've got our own centres, eighteen members of staff. We see round about nine hundred and fifty men every year. Wow. Uh, two brand new men contact us every single day of the year. Every day, sixty-five days, three hundred sixty-five oh. days a year. Yeah. Oh men that God. we've never met before, men that have never reached out before. They just, they just can't, they just, wow. I have no idea that the statistics were that. Those numbers, I, I, it's funny. I know, I, I know people that, I, I, grow, you know, people that have been close to me that have been abused when they were kids and you start to go, you start like, fuck, more people have been abused than haven't. 
it yeah. seems. So you know? statistically, yeah, absolutely. So what we know from what we know from the data is uh, it, so in terms of um, uh, child sort of um, childhood sexual abuse, we know it's round, round about one in six. So uh, if you look at some like good academic research uh, worldwide, high income countries, uh, it's about one in one in six of the male population. Uh, one in four, one in three of the female population. When you start looking at, at rape, uh, so an, an adult being raped, it works out, uh, so Crime Survey England and Wales, so some of the work that we do with Home Office and Ministry of Justice, we did a, a big piece of work a few years ago, and it was just above one in 10. So above about one in 10 of all reported uh, or attempted rapes every single year will be against a male. It's only in the last few years that this has come that, that i've become aware of that or realized a few things i remember being in australia about four years ago and there was an act uh, uh, a female act sat with us having a bit of dinner and she'd had she'd been abused uh and mm. that's she was doing a show about it and then we're all sat around and she was she was being a, she was very she's an aggressive woman and we were sat there talking and then she was basically, she was going, oh, you're all potential rapists. And, we're like, and of course we didn't understand. So we were going, what are you sure. talking about? I'm not, yeah. what are you talking about? So we yeah. all, so I get put my back up and then I was, and then there was a guy called Wayne Deakin and he was doing a show about him, about him being raped at a party. Yeah. And I said, I said, well, men get raped all the time. And then and she's like, yeah, but you, but yeah. And I, and we had this bit of an argument and then she, she went off and I felt, I felt bad. I kind of went, why do I feel bad? I, f- I thought I was defending mm. myself. And then it isn't until like you do, you start looking into it. You go, oh shit. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Most p- abusers are men. And you know, yeah. And it, yeah. And it, and I kind of went, oh yeah, I see what, I see where she was coming from now. It's, it's a real, you know? it's a really difficult one because, um, when we start making statements mm. and when we start talking about um, data, all we, what we're actually talking about is what we know. We're not, yeah. we're not talking obviously about, we can only know what we know. We can't know what we don't know. Mm. So until we start a bit like an archeological dig, you know, yeah. If you, if you find a dinosaur, don't start fucking JCBing it up. You know, start <laughs> brushing it away a little bit, bit That's by it, yeah. bit by bit. That's the way we've got to deal with sexual violence. You know, mm. what what lots of people want to do is you just want to go and smash the ground up. Well, that's not going to solve anything, actually. All that's going to do is it's going to just shatter the evidence into tiny little pieces, and then we'll spend fucking years trying to put that together. Yeah. So what we've got to do is we've got to kind of do a bit of an archaeological dig. So we brush the top layer off and see what's there and then brush a bit more off and see what's there and then brush a bit more off and suddenly, you know, the dinosaur be- reveals itself. Mm. We we haven't even got to talking about female perpetrators. And I don't just mean female perpetrators of male sexual violence. I mean female perpetrators as a, I don't know what the right word is, species for for the sake of right. argument. Yeah, you know, so so what? All, so at the moment, what we end up with is a really binary way of thinking about things. So yes. the female is a victim, the male is a perpetrator, and for many of us, that that dynamic doesn't fit. So all that happens is every time we hear that dynamic, mm. we feel ostracised. Yeah. We feel like that we don't fit in yet again. Yeah. So uh, for so many of the people that that we work with. You know, they've all that you know that many of them have got so many stories about 
feeling that they have had to kind of engage in something with uh, a girlfriend or the babysitter or something of which it's it's always been talked about as being way you know god look at you lucky bastard you know just like what Mm. hold on a minute switch those genders so let's have let's have a 13 year old girl with a 30 year old teacher yeah nobody nobody would be saying whoa lucky girl no. I just wouldn't. And anyone that does seriously needs to have a conversation with the psychiatrist <laughs> or the police, you know. But the moment we talk about that as being a 13-year-old boy and a 30-year-old woman, straight away we go, hey. Yeah, like, I've what? even I I've even made I've even there was a bit of material that I used to do and it was we were talking about like pedophiles when I was a kid. And there were there were always there was always some strange dude around and you kind of just yeah. threw stones at him and did whatever. And, it, and the joke, it, the, the joke was, you know, if it was a woman, it would have been a different story. Like pulling up in the car, like, do you want to see some puppies? Like, yeah, I'll, come on then. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, because that's how, again our society went. No, that's completely fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. Oh man. And we've, we're, you know, we've we've gotten got to sort of talk about it. And I think, you know, I think you're right, Rich. I think this, you know, the the the, the topic of um, male sexual violence is is a relatively new one for many of our um uh, conversations it feels like the words are quite new on the tongue yes like definitely. i'm not used yeah. to those words in my mouth you know and and you know credit where credit's due and i will continue to say this is uh where it for me where it really took off uh was when steve uh walters and the footballers were on victoria Derby's show we're not talking about what four or five years ago mm. yeah when when those men stood up and said, me too. You know, the world stopped yes. for a moment. Yeah. My, you know, uh, again, stereotyping, my dad type of stuff, you know, yes. uh, late 60s, early 70s, uh, working class, northern bloke who, you know, used to do the pools, uh, you know, um, yeah, you know, yeah, puts yeah. a little bit on the GGs. That's it, you know, yeah. You know, uh, always wanted to be a footballer, you know, uh, drove the buses, was a builder, very traditional gender stereotyping, gender norm roles. Suddenly, they all went, what? Footballers? Like, real men? And I have this absolute belief that if if those lads weren't part of football, if they were part of another sport, it wouldn't have hit like it did. No, you're right. You're right. There's still that thing in football... Where we're not talking about these things, we're not. That, that, and so, yeah, that that moment where they stood up and said, "Me too." I remember. Yeah, I remember that. I go. I'm like. Yeah. Yeah, I, even I went. Fuck. Yeah. yeah. You go. Jesus. Of course. And and that's exactly what it needed. It needed people like you've got like Ricky Hatton coming out and talking about his depression and and yeah. and and Peter Crouch and all these people coming out. Yeah. Like like you say masculine role models that you that are seen as real men turn around and yeah. go, no, I, I, I feel this way sometimes. And it's, yeah. that's exactly what's needed. And, and talk and about that, like, you know, go on. I had a, I had a, uh, so uh, for, for Survivors Manchester, we, you know, we've got a number of, of ambassadors, you know, that, that play a really important part of, of, of our organization, you know, championing the work and kind of having the conversations and, 
uh, we have a, a mutual friend in uh, Richard Gad. Yes, we do. Yes, we yeah. do. So yes. Gad is Gad is an ambassador for for Survivors Manchester. Yes, uh, you know, with everything he's done with like Monkey See Monkey Do, and one of the other ambassadors is is a uh, is the footballer, one of the footballers, Steve Walters. And oh wow, you know, I had uh, I had a conversation with Steve, and and it was because of Victoria Derby's show really that we, that I kind of like reached out. Uh, yeah, and uh, I had a, a conversation with him, and I said, you know, like. To this day, some of the most powerful words I've ever heard a survivor talk about was when Steve was on the Victoria Derbyshire show. And, I mean, I I don't know that much about football. And when I say that much, what I mean is, fuck all. Same. I know that David Beckham once wore a sari or something. <laughs> and... Uh, Eric Cantona kicks someone in the face. That's really about it. That's, That's it. That kind yeah, of my so... extent of my football knowledge. <laughs> but from what I understand, you know, Steve was a, you know, was a really promising, you know, international, and uh, you know, was mm. good looking. You know, had you know had the the kind of the very traditional sort of. Um, chiseled sort of features and you know was it was was a was a good footballer blonde hair blue eyes kind of thing and on the victoria derbyshire show he said what happened with uh bennell so barry bennell being mm, the, yeah. the football coach that abused so many, uh, so many young lads you know because of what happened with bennell for many many years i questioned my sexuality and i thought fucking hell I've never heard anyone say that before. No. You know, thinking about putting it into context. Yeah, you know, we've only yeah, ever yeah. had one out gay player in uh, uh, in uh, Fashionu. That's right. Yeah, you know, just in Fashionu, and you know what a tragedy that was, the way that ended. Uh, you know, and it's about it's not necessarily about sexuality. It's about vulnerability, and mm. I think the moment Steve and the other lads talked about their vulnerability showed their vulnerability suddenly the world was like okay and now feel like if the in inverted commas the real men i.e the footballers are talking if it can happen to them it can happen to anybody and it began yeah. a really 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 important conversation which i'm really grateful that this is continuing and even this you know even this this conversation that you and i are having yeah is adding into it it's about how can we continue to add to the conversation because at some point we've got to kind of get a grip of it we can't kind of continue to just put our fingers in our ears when it suits us no it's not right. fair yeah. yeah but that's it that's what one of the reasons why i do the podcast like i said to you earlier is that i'm learning i'm i don't i don't know i don't know as much as i thought i did and that's because I didn't. I just didn't have these conversations with people. And I, I have these. I do this podcast. I love. I learn something from every guest that's on. And then it. And then. And then I can have. I. I, I just. I can't really explain it. But it's just like what we're talking about now today is. I had no idea about any of this. You know, I had a vague idea of yeah. what goes on, but I didn't really know. And that's why I have these conversations because I. I don't. I don't know how to have the conversations. One, that's the, another reason. Like I said to you earlier, I don't know. I don't know how. To, I, I've said before, don't be afraid to ask questions. But what questions do you ask? What? How? Yeah. How do you go about it? You know, and that's why it's great to talk to people like you. Do you know what I mean? It's 
it's, but the very it's, fact it's, that you know the very fact that you that you're I, I say trying and I, and I don't mean that mm. disrespectfully what I mean no, is I know what you mean. you're fucking having a go doesn't yeah. matter if you don't know <laughs> and you don't get it right all the time but yeah. you're willing to have a go yeah and that's yeah. the important bit you know as a survivor as you know as a as a therapist you know it, it's just so important because you know that um that famous line build it and they will come yes uh, kevin that's it Feel the dreams kevin yes, costner yeah. yeah so when i first when i when uh, when we opened survivors manchester uh, and i was knocking on doors and people were saying men won't talk about this and i was like they will just 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 mm. give me some money and i'll prove it to you <laughs> i know I literally went knocking on commissioners doors to kind of get some funds to do this and and slowly but surely people did and then we took it further so you know, I, through various different people, I ended up sort of doing a little bit of a full circle and ended up back in TV and theatre and stuff. So I did loads mm. of consultations, still do, uh, you know, consult on, uh, you know, um, Coronation Street and Hollyoaks and some theatre stuff. Yeah, right. uh, you know, to whenever there's a subject of male sexual violence, then yes. it, it kind of, you know, I end up having some various conversations. And, you know, some of the work I'm yeah. really, really proud of, you know, so, so the, the, the two big Hollyoaks stories that we did, you know, we did, uh, we did a male rape storyline, which aired at like half six or seven in the wow. weekday. So it wasn't an extra, it wasn't a late night. It was, it was prime, prime time, time wow. prime time. And still to this day, you know, I can get goosebumpy just thinking about that. And <laughs> James, who played uh, John Paul, who was the character that was oh, raped. Oh, yeah, I know, yeah. James, uh, you know, kind of then became an ambassador for, for the organisation. And then we did, a, we did a football one, which uh, in Hollyoaks, which again was uh, sort of inspired. Brian um, uh, Kirkwood, who's the exec producer, he was really inspired by uh, Steve's um, interviews outside court when when Benel got uh, uh, convicted again. And Steve yeah. helped me, you know, with the scripts and, and you know, and we, we went and talked to the actors and the directors. And then Corey, you know, I, I mean, yeah. I ended up going full circle. So <laughs> part of the reason why I left theatre and tv is because i found i found some quite dark spaces and some quite dark shady people yes. and i didn't want to be around those people anymore and you know 20 so years later i ended up you know sat in front of kate oates who was the exec producer at the time yeah and she's going we you know we know what you did on on hollyoaks we want to do something we want to do something on on Corey as a platform and that then became the David Platt rape story, which, you right. know, won yeah, lots of yeah, awards yeah. and, you know, I mean, properly, you know, change conversation. These are all really, really important things to be doing because mm. we just add into the narrative and we say to people, it's all right to talk about it. Yeah. Well, it's that. That's it's not, how we get better. Yes. It's not people, it's all, all we're all saying, go, come forward, say something, but, People don't know how. Exactly. You know, that's the that and that's what leads to that. I, you know, yeah, it's all very well going. Oh yeah, go and talk to someone. How do you start that conversation? Yeah. And I'll tell you where the most important conversations are beginning here. They're beginning on TV. They're beginning in theatres. They're beginning mm. with comedians. They're beginning with writers. It's the arts. Yeah. And I've always, you know, having an arts background, I've always been a big 
believer in how important the arts are, but I know firsthand, I'm not just sat with a load of actors talking about my experiences of being abused and giving them material to then go and perform in front of the camera. I'm then going back to my office and seeing the impact, the direct impact of that. Yeah. So I'll give you an example. So we did uh, the Holly, the um, Coronation Street David Platt rape storyline. We planned it all out. You know, we, we uh, worked with Jack, uh, who plays David Platt, and, and Ryan, uh, who played Josh, who was the rapist, and a few of the other cast members and, and the script writers and the directors. And, you know, we kind of did this whole big strategy around it and, you know, and it aired and it was amazing. Uh, it aired on the Friday night. Uh, transmission finished at nine in the evening. So we had the helpline open a couple of hours after. A right. few hours open, a few hours on uh, Saturday, a couple of hours on Sunday, nine to five Monday. By Tuesday lunchtime, I'm stood uh, on, on the cobbles, uh, looking down the camera to ITN News. And I'm with Ryan, who... who who played Josh. Yeah. And just before we go to, to live transmission, I've just rang the office and I've said, will somebody find out what the numbers are in terms of, uh, you know, uh, yeah. calls yeah. to the helpline? And they text me and I text them straight back and said, no, you need to go and check that number. That can't be right. And they came back and were like, nope, nope, it's absolutely right. 1,700% increase in essentially oh, 72 hours. Wow. All of them quoting that the reason that they're speaking out is because they'd watched Coronation Street and it had triggered something. That's where the conversation starts. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you see that all the time and you always wonder if, you, know, you, you you think like maybe one or two people will what maybe watch that and they might phone up, but that is a, that is a huge, what, what a leap. And that you're, you're so right. Wow. I had no idea. I had no idea that that it because was that powerful. TV, theatre, um, uh, you know, live entertainment. It's it it kind of it it captures the zeitgeist of, of of society, and it's actually where entertainment is where most people begin to learn stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Actually, yeah, I had a I had an experience in Birmingham. I I did a, I was doing a gig, and again, I'd made a joke about. I made a joke about paedophiles and after the interval, this guy was sort of hovering around the stage and he came up and he, and I went, are you all right, mate? I thought he was just pissed and he yeah. came up on stage and then he just, he took the mic off me and he went, how comes we're allowed to make, we can make jokes about paedophiles, but we can't make jokes about black people. We can't make, and I'm like, whoa, 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 hang on a minute, hang on a minute. And I've got the thing back and I, and then he kind of got, he, he, the people he was with kind of ushered him off. And so I brought the, the, the act on and then I, um, so I was emceeing and I went, right. So I brought him on and I rushed out to see this guy. And what it was, he'd been abused by a couple as a kid in the village where he lived. And he'd been to therapy and he, and he, he thought he'd dealt with it. But me, he, he, me just mentioning yeah. paedophiles just triggered him. Yeah. And I remember sitting and it made me realise, uh, I was like, shit, man, words, it's so powerful. We have to be careful. What we're saying. So what my point is, it's power, what we're doing. Yeah, there is a power there that sometimes we don't even realise it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, did you ever see Gad's um, uh, Monkey See, Monkey Do? I did, yes, yes. I mean, I it's did. just incredible, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I fucking loved it. And so when when he um, 
uh, so when he did a tour and he opened the tour in Manchester and, you know, we've got a load of us that kind of went down to see it, you know, all the ambassadors. Yeah. And uh, there's a couple of a couple of things that he says, a couple of jokes that uh, very clearly the only people it landed with in a comfortable way were the survivors in the audience. Right. Everybody <laughs> else very clearly was uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, and I, I was talking to him afterwards and I was just saying, that's you've got to keep doing that because you've yeah. got to push people. You've got to kind of gently prod people to go, this is uncomfortable, isn't it? Yeah. So that's why what, don't we look at yes. why it's uncomfortable? Which goes back to what you were saying earlier about that you're not going to learn if you just stay where you are and you're comfortable exactly. with the bubble. You're right. Exactly. Yeah, I've actually yeah we're we're friends with Richard Gad and we and he's you know we know we know the story and and even that even when he was telling us he kind of there's a moment where he was sort of he was telling us that even he was like questioning whether whether he he was right or not you know that's yeah. the thing as well with people that have been abused they feel they still feel it's somehow it's their fault like they kind of ask for it or like you uh, were saying earlier you kind of go eh, you know. Yeah, and you know, and 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 performance is is a great drama. Um, you know, uh, telling jokes, telling stories. You know, whatever art form that is, is is a great way of beginning conversations because actually, a lot of the things that and a lot of the the nuances of performance are, will kind of get lost when it becomes a lecture. Yes, no one wants to sit there necessarily and and. And, and just listen to someone speaking at you. But in, in a performance, you can put shitloads of theory into that yeah. and deliver it in a story, and people yeah. get it. It becomes more palatable. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. This and is, comedy, again, you know, comedy yeah. is, a, is, is, a, is a brilliant way of transmitting like really complex theories. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I I learn a lot of stuff from comedy, funnily enough. That my my favourite comedians are the ones that they tell me facts and figures, but you know it goes in. I, I was never very academic and it, it mm. so the, me watching comedians and 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 films and things like that, it that it goes in that way. Like so yeah, you're right. It just makes it easier to swallow. You're kind of like, oh yeah, I get that now. That's yeah. that's nice. But it was just some teacher stood in front of me going, This happened then that happened then remember yeah. this remember that and you're like oh this is boring as fuck yeah what the f yeah yeah and, and especially right. at the moment with like you know like you know the, the amount of to kind of phrase of the amount of fake news and you mm. know so, suddenly joe blog's opinion of some bloke sat on twitter you know suddenly becomes far more important than than a man or a woman that spent you know 25 years researching a particular topic you know for what they're yeah. saying let's listen to joe blogs because <laughs> after he's finished his egg and chips what he's got to say is far more important and you you know there's a bit like you know like like come on let's let's kind of like give our heads a wobble here i yeah. think i've probably learned more from watching uh you know people like john oliver uh, yes. you know that kind of like the tonight show those That's kind it. of yeah. satire uh, uh have i got news for you i mean yep. even like you know i know he's kind of really controversial i really like him um frankie Boyle, the new new world order i, I think i learn so much more about the environment 
off one of those episodes because he had a he, he had a kind of a scientist on there and they were like laughing about i think i learned more there than i than i have reading big long rambling <laughs> articles yeah you're so right absolutely it's people like frankie boyle that made me realize that the system that we're grown that we're told to try and fit into actually you don't you that, that's a that's quite a shit system. And it's like yeah. I say, it's people like Frankie that shone a light on that. If you yeah. hadn't been to them, I'd have kind of, I'd have still been going along going, Oh, why am I not? Why, why can't I fit in? Why don't, you know, why, yeah. why do I feel yeah. different? It's, it's yeah. We need people like that. And we need people like you doing what you're doing. I, when Thank we you. first started on working on Twitter, we're talking on Twitter. Um, yeah. Again, I hadn't, I had no idea. And it, and it's one of the, it's one of the, best things that's come out of social media for me is discovering you and the work you're doing and it, Cheers, it, i think it's fantastic and i and considering you started off with like two baked bean tins and a bit of string yeah and now you've you've got this aldi baked bean yeah. tins as well <laughs> not even no, not fucking heinz here yeah <laughs> I'm talking about a pay-as-you-go mobile phone with 25 quid on it. You started off with credit, and I bet you had to borrow some money to get credit on your phone. Yeah, absolutely. I won't tell you where the 25 quid came from, but... It doesn't matter. <laughs> Listen, I've earned money in dubious ways as well, so it's fine. It's fine. Uh, and where could we... If someone someone's listening to this, yeah. how, and we've talked about how you know making that step of contacting you making that that first step how do we yeah. do that duncan so the first thing that i'd always say is you know like it's in 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 their time nobody's yeah. got the right to push somebody into making disclosure and also no one's got the right to take someone's disclosure away from them you know so some of the things that we'll often get in, you know, asked is you know like how can i make this person talk well the fact is you can't you know, and, wow. and think about even that language, make someone talk, mm. you know, so so survivors by definition have been made to do something. Nobody chooses to be raped and nobody no. chooses to be abused. You know, this is something that happens to someone. It mm. is the it is the um, uh, the epitome of power and control. Sexual violence is something that that happens when somebody wants to assert power and control over somebody else, sex just becomes the weapon. Sex is the gun or the knife. So when someone feels like they're ready or they want to dip their toe in and just find out, then then the easiest thing for me is, you know, dip your toe in online. So this is what I did. I went and found a website and checked out its validity and, you know, had to read around for a bit. You know, so uh, you know, so our website, survivorsmanchester.org.uk, you can go there and and there is a whole load of information or mm. malesurvivor.co.uk. And if you go on there, it will even give you a map of the country and find out where your local male specific um organization is. For women, just Google uh Rape Crisis England Wales. You know, Rape Crisis England Wales right. have got a load of, of, of incredible organisations doing incredible stuff for women and girls across the UK. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Duncan, thank you so much for coming on. I've really, I get, like we were talking about, I've learned a lot from this. It's been an Cheers, absolute man. joy. And congratulations on your OBE, man. What about thank that? Thank you. Exactly. How many people can say the Queen has asked them if they're a survivor? Madness. That's exactly. <laughs> Madness. And I wasn't even on drugs. <laughs> 
Did you do none at all? You did. You must have. <laughs> no, nope, not whatsoever. Been clean for many years, but I mean, like, I did have to kind of give me head a wobble and think, "Oh God, that's the most surreal experience of my life." What an achievement, man! From Cheers. from that from that twenty five quid mobile phone to to being in front of the Queen giving you an OBE, dude. You, you're a one-off, man, and I, Thanks, I, man. I feel, I feel, I feel blessed that I've met you. So thank you, Duncan. Thanks it's been for a joy. And Thanks, listen, mate. listen, genuinely, I can tell you from from me, but also from many of the lads that that uh, access our service. You know, your podcast, what you're doing here, is really helping people. So oh, many thanks, of our man. lads just tune into it. So keep doing it. Keep having those difficult conversations. Keep laughing as well. Yeah. That's what we've oh, kind of got to keep man. doing. Yeah, that's 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 key, isn't it? Yeah, you're right, man. Thank you so much, Duncan. It's a pleasure. Insane in the membrane. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quinn's is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Made by darkhorsedigital.co.uk Shooting, live streaming and podcast production.